0: We must admit that we do not have the situation under control. I wanted to act as if the house was on fire. Because it is.
1: Welcome to The World We Want Youth Voices on Climate and Health. My name is Jonathan Foster. And in this second series we continue meeting some of the world's most engaging and thought-provoking youth activists. We get their views not only on the reality of our current environmental and health crises, but also about the possibilities, alternatives and ideas for transformation and change. We find out what youth activists are thinking and doing and we find out what you could do to help build the world we want.
2: stop playing with words and numbers because we no longer have time.
1: Hello. In this episode, I've got a tasty treat for you. From the Donut Economic Action Lab, I speak to the excellent Rob Shorter about the past, the present and the future. And he tells us about some real tools you can actually use to create change in your community. Now, if you're wondering, uh-huh, uh Donut Economics, what's that? Then go to www.donuteconomics.org and find out what a thriving future could actually be like if we'd just give it the chance. I also chat to Shrisha Nankwa. Now, she's a social and behavior change communication officer from FHI 360, and she was a participant at the PMAC conference in Thailand. Amongst other things, she had some unbelievably interesting insights into the structural nature of change, and listening instead of just talking. Hmm. And finally, I spoke to an old friend of the pod, Omnia El Omrani, who was also at the PMAC conference, and we hear about her learnings and takeaways from Thailand. (coughs) Imagine a five-year-old child driving a pedal car. Hmm, that's nice. No problem at all. But imagine that suddenly that pedal car transforms itself into a Formula One car, with that exact same child sitting in the driving seat. Now this is a terrifying prospect. No one in their right mind would place a five-year-old child behind the wheel of a Formula One car, because, well, (laughs) it would end in disaster. And yet, that's exactly what we are doing. We're driving our 21st century economies with a 17th century mindset. No wonder we're smashing through planetary boundaries and hurtling towards an almighty crash. Perpetual economic growth has meant more and more consumption and as our technologies and financial systems have become more and more complex and our ability to extract material from the natural world has exponentially increased at exactly the same time our philosophical and political world views that drive these systems has hardly changed at all. We need to closely examine the power structures that characterize our societies with their built-in inequalities of race and gender and wealth and, yes, power, because without doing so, we are racing into a future driven by a mindset from the past. Now, we all know that our societies are being run by a set of rules that are entirely wrong for the reality of our social systems and for our planet. Right now, we're in the shadow of multiple crises, We have financial meltdowns, we have climate and biodiversity catastrophes, crackdowns on democratic rights. Everywhere you look, it appears something is going wrong. And yet, we are still advocating that our way to nirvana is through more and more profit. Okay, but we've heard all this before, right? I mean, on this podcast, I myself have talked about escaping the architecture of the past, about slamming on the brakes and turning the wheel, about searching for heroes and rewritten stories, navigating the world from the inside. I've even used that often quoted description of humanity's predicament, and you know the one. The one that says we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology, and here I am again, going on and on and on with my lyrical prose. And all the while, the countdown has started, and that five-year-old kid is revving up the economic engine in a crazed race for profit. Uh, Well, you know what? Maybe it's time to give that kid a donut. Instead of hurtling towards a bleak and doomed future, with a five-year-old driving his free-market economic race car... Maybe it's time to pull that child out of the driving seat and make our way towards social and planetary health by indulging in some sweet donut economics. Rob Shorter, thank you so much for joining us here on The World We Want. It's a real honour to have you.
0: Great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: So Rob, uh, you are from the Donut Economic Action Lab, uh, which is where you take Kate Rayworth's brilliant concept of donut economics and you create ways to bring these ideas into actual action on the ground. Um, I know that you guys recognise that we all need to reimagine a new way of living and devise a new set of values that are fit for our times could you talk me through a little bit of what you mean by this? Yeah. so we
0: recognize uh, with donut economics um, that we have we we inherit uh, economic thinking. Uh, we inherit the philosophy of previous generations. And we're currently living out the economic imaginations of those who philosophized in the sort of seventeenth, eighteenth century and you know who started building economic thinking around that in the 1920th century that is no longer fit for how we understand the world today and just how globally interconnected we are um xenophon a uh, greek philosopher in the um 4th century recognized the need for household management and those words household oikos management nomos became economics and since this idea of economics was created. Um, so the scale has increased from uh, looking after uh, our, our, our individual houses, you know, to the street, to the town, to the city, to the nation state. And Adam Smith came along and wrote The Wealth of Nations 250 years ago. And But now we have such globalized systems that are so deeply inter- interconnected where the actions that we take in our household here, in our communities, where we are, have implications for people in communities around the world. And we're so interconnected with the natural world, we completely depend upon living systems of the natural world. And so we need to recognize that that is now the scale of our planetary home. And so oikos nomos, household management, planetary management, we need economic thinking in the 21st century that really recognizes that scale of interconnection we have and dependencies we have, impacts that our choices make on others, and and so we with donor economics invite people to ask the question: Well, what would that mean to then reimagine the thinking that we've inherited to make it fit for these challenges? And it's to recognise that everyone is welcome to be a part of that process of reimagining, because if we don't create welcoming methods that make space for everyone and everyone's aspirations and everyone's imagination we're going to create economic thinking that has blind spots just like the 20th century thinking had and assumptions and simplifications that cause harm so how do we and what we try to do with not economics is then say this is our collective challenge our global collective challenge how can everyone be a part of reimagining what economics is for the 21st century
1: yeah, I love that idea of reimagining economic behaviour. Uh, so it's open to everyone. Um, so many of the solutions uh, seem to be orientated in a top-down way. You know, groups uh, and people will be given solutions by outside experts, often with goals and ideas that don't correspond with local goals and ideas. So getting involved in shaping your own destiny is incredibly important. Um, The work you do at Donut Economic Action Lab is to encourage people to actually get involved, right? To actually take ownership of solutions and to empower themselves um, to do something in their own communities. Is that right?
0: Oh, completely. So we are very lucky, I'd say, that we have this this word donut in our name, which is not intimidating um, in the way that the word economics is. And so people... Who might not engage with economics do begin to engage with the ideas of doing economics, and that means people on you know on your street might be interested to talk about it in communities. And what I uh, what I see on a daily basis is the innovative networks at a city, regional, national scale who are connecting around the ideas too. So these are sort of emergent impact networks for change that are really creating the conditions for. We use the term emergence, where it's not like a formalized theory of change. It's recognizing that we're connecting all the people who have a common under well have an understanding that there's something wrong in the, in our economic thinking and the structures and institutions that we have and how they go about trying to bring about top-down change and and, and various other ways of bringing about change and are, are working towards you know what, noticing what what alternatives are there what. What's beginning to happen that's slightly different? What's, what are the relationships that are happening outside these formalized structures that are beginning to gesture towards a regenerative, thriving, distributive future for all? And, and so really kind of this, this bubbling, I kind of highlight <laughs> like that term, we're bubbling bottom-up energy. Is, is actually, it's really enlivening, it's, it's actually the way sort of nature does things, I don't think there's any natural systems that's top down, <laughs> um, so so we, we we pay very close attention to, to so if someone feels called to these ideas, I say called to, if they feel the ideas of donor economics are inviting to them, then it's really great to notice and pay attention where's where's the energy of the people who are coming to these ideas and how they taking them off the page taking them out of the book um that was written by kate rayworth in 2017 and and wanting to put them into the action into action and it it, we're seeing so many creative ways that's happening too so economics in the 21st 20th century was probably uh based in equations and graphs and and white papers and things like that. 21st century seems to be based in all the creative methods of art and movement and play and expression. And so we see a lot of far more dynamic and really enlivening methods of of, of engaging with these, these ideas.
1: Brilliant. Uh, I was gonna ask you something else then, Rob, but in light of what you've just been saying, I'm gonna swerve here and instead um, if I can, I'm I'm going to push back a little bit and ask a question. Look, I'm a massive fan of donut economics. It's it's a, it's almost a eureka moment where you think, ah, uh-huh, why haven't uh, why hasn't uh, economics been presented like this before? But I have this concern that it it almost feels like we're being offered an engineering or a technical solution to what is essentially a political and a social problem. Right? I mean the crises that we have don't just arise from some technical error but instead they they arise from the values that we have or the stories that we tell about ourselves um can you can you talk to me a little bit about that
0: Absolutely. um i think the the the, the way we've been thinking about donor economics is almost like a western mindset recovery program where it's inviting us to to sort of spot just how connect it well, have I mentioned already the interconnectedness of the crises we're facing and the complexity of that. And the, and when you see the image of the donut you see a social foundation and ecological ceiling and you see the the social dimensions there are 12 on the donut, but when we bring it to a local place we invite people to bring all of the additional. Uh, things that are important to them there, and then the nine planetary boundaries and these 21 dimensions are all in one diagram and they invite us to think about all the interconnections between things and it's a question of when you say things are connected what's then the relationship between all these different things and we've got people working on all of these 21 dimensions and therefore what are the relationship between all those different people working on all those different things and so we need to recognize that yeah all the technical solutions exist to get into the donut and there are so many wisdom traditions around the world that are just uh, intrinsically um, donut-shaped. We'd have to tell them, but, oh, yeah, you align with the donut. So it's just the donut is one articulation that we believe is helpful for those who are moving from a very, um, who've been socialised with the Western mindset um, of, let's crudely say it, separation and start breaking down problems um, and coming with a sort of a deficit mindset here's a problem we need to find a solution and actually the I think the artistic mindset doesn't call for problems and solutions it calls for understanding our if we're part of this complex system and we are you know part of this living world how do we embrace the complexity of relations and you know all of the things that we are (laughs) in a dance with all the time and and then sort of just see how, how change can begin to unfold together. And it's sort of letting go of control, I think, to a certain to a certain degree, um, which is really uncomfortable. And and so there's a there's a tension here because we have urgency. We need to make these changes. But at the same time, how do we um go at the pace of the relationship building, of the trust building of those who want to share a common goal towards a thriving, regenerative, distributive future? So I think art is a Art is kind of a beautiful uh, complement to the sort of the science that we now understand about the the planetary uh, system scientists are are showing us. And and that's a gift. And so how do you recognize the gift of art and the way that that can actually enable us to have new ways of relating and seeing that can potentially help us through these enormously complex um, challenges together?
1: I mean, it's really fascinating that you talk about letting go of control. Um, In fact, sometimes finding solutions is just about letting go of the past, right? Um, And thinking about what a new future might look like. But let me play devil's advocate a little bit longer before we move on. (laughs) So, yes, we do need to move away from a degenerative to a regenerative economic model. Um, Yes, we do Uh, need to move from an exploitative profit short-term model to a kind of sustainable, inclusive, circular economy, of course. And and we also need to move from these centralized systems to distributed systems, um, from hierarchies to flattened democracies, of course. And all of that stuff is, I think it's doable. But there are these forces stopping us getting it done, right? There are people for whom... Degenerative, short-term, exploitative uh, systems are actually fantastic. Uh, They work really well. Um, What do we do about that? What about this elephant in the room? Uh, What about power? Gosh,
0: that's a that's a great question. I'm not going to profess to have any answer, but more a more a a reflection that um, we we recognise that power is is so alive in this work. And what we try and do is rather than come up with some kind of tool kit or process or a yeah a one two three of how to you know hold that power to account, it's more about making that visible through this work. And if we make what has previously been held invisible through economics, for example, unpaid care work in the household, for example. The creativity of the commons and the relationships that we form as communities, and the way that that supports our well being that's invisible in GDP, that's completely sidelined from mainstream economic thinking. Then we believe that mobilizing economic thought, community up around what we now see as the more holistic. View of of the economy, then we believe that there is enormous power and agency that we all have in our daily lives, in our daily relationships, and we also recognise that institutions are different from people. So there's the institutional mindset of growth that we're looking to dethrone. And recognize that instead, what would it mean to have a thriving goal, whether or not we grow? And everyone you know, comes home to their household. <laughs> so, so everyone lives that economy day by day. So what, what is the invitation that we can make this visible and inviting to, to, to all? And we have conversations with the entrepreneurs who are within the systems of power. Um, who are looking to transform mindsets throughout those institutions, and so I think when people really experience the a more connected economy where or caring, connected, compassionate economy that we we believe um, a regenerative distributive future invites, then that is as an, an irresistible um feeling once you've once you've had that to then sort of to um just to stop there uh it's if you then are in a role of power within your institution or or business or whatever we we are seeing sort of that um like an olive branch i don't know what's another metaphor of that being taken back into um or a trojan horse might be a bit more of a (laughs) a sort of a A a, a sort of a different metaphor for bringing that bring that bringing those into institutions and allowing those ideas to spread in an inviting way um i think there's a power probably is the 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 area that needs to let go and then that's probably the the hardest thing and there's there's you know i won't go into the, the i guess the sort of the um psychological challenges of that but um i think By creating an irresistible future and thinking and relating uh, at the community scale, it can permeate um, in ways that we can't quite see or imagine yet, Um, but we're beginning to get signs that that's happening.
1: Well, I've got to say that was a really beautiful answer to a very unfair question. Um, (laughs) I threw something quite ridiculously enormous at you there and you answered with great dignity. Thank you. Um I suppose a reflection on my part is, is to say that we're often talking about moving forward and progressing away from the past. Um, it's a kind of narrative that we use all the time. but in some ways isn't what we want, in fact, is for people to actually go backwards. What I mean is to move backwards in the sense that stop being just mere consumers and move to being engaged political c- citizens again you know um so instead of being consumers sitting at the end of the production line um, we go back to being decision makers at the beginning of the production line right go move back from being powerless to having some power in in our futures
0: well like a like a pendulum swinging um it goes in one direction then it comes back into balance and i think we you know disruptions to systems Bring about that change where we can go to an extreme and and if consumerism has led to vast wealth in certain countries or in certain parts of um societies we can recognize the the gifts that has brought and then also recognize the harms that's causing and recognize the balance that needs to come back into and yeah so we we can look and look i, I guess it's our always our choice to look at what's come before to to Recognize the the teachings it can offer us. Recognize what we need to let go, and then recognize what we can. What else is 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 um is on offer?
1: <laughs> okay, uh, let let's talk about growth uh, for a moment. Um, a little earlier, you mentioned the unintended consequences of of the economic system. But I wonder if, in fact, we could say, for example, that poverty uh, is an intended consequence of the economic system. Uh, Another example might be inequality. I mean, these these things are not accidental in any way. We're always talking about pulling people out of poverty or fighting inequality, but they're built into the system, right? Uh, So what we want is for people and the planet to be thriving Within their communities or within bou- planetary boundaries, and that's something that donut economics talks about. So, could you, could you talk a little bit about this aspect of donut economics?
0: Yes. So, um, gosh, poverty and inequality. I mean, there's so much great um, work out there about um, global inequality. Um, when we have a narrative of poverty alleviation, actually, you know what's really what's really going on there. So, I think there's a there's a large Amount of work to do about making visible um, the, the dynamics that are in place that need to be unpicked if we're to really recognize what uh, a, a pathway to greater global equality looks like um, especially you know understanding climate impacts within nations you know there's been great work on um, how inequality leads to worst outcomes for all and so um, with donor economics we're we're really trying to offer a, a new goal, center the new goal of thriving. And, and we use the, the term whether or not the economy grows, um, because it's it's to say that when we focus on growth as the metric of progress, then and this notion of expansion, expansion, expansion at all costs, because then the costs are the health currently, the health of communities in the living world. and there are so many complex kind of factors going into um, global and um, within national um, inequality and so we we don't profess to to know the answers to those but we we are trying to offer a a different mindset that can then um, align with a more uh, equal future we talk about distributive design for that reason and how wealth and power and value and opportunity instead of centralizing in the hands of a few people, concentrating in the hands of a few, um, how we can redesign economies so that value and opportunity and power and wealth is distributed. And when we c- can agree on these things, and we have these big questions. Of what does it mean to design economies that are redistributed by design? And it's that reorientation really comes all the way back to the economic mindset and making visible all of the, the harms that one mindset might cause. And but we need to have an agile and adaptive mindset, really. So the donut is a is a model and and it is 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 a all models. As George Box, the statistician says, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And So we think it's useful now and, and we're absolutely ready to embrace um, the next model and understand when the donut has served its course.
1: Well, it's fascinating to hear these overarching meta-views, brilliant stuff, but let's bring it back to Earth (laughs) and talk about actually taking action in reality. I know that Donut Economics Action Lab website, uh, people can find actual tools, right? There are tools for all kinds of things. So talk me through them. What, What happens? Let's say I'm a person living in some town somewhere in the world. I want to get involved. I want to make a difference. I want to do something. Uh, I go to Deal. I go to the Deal website, Donut Economics Action Lab website. What's going to happen? Well, there are some tools where you can just watch a five, ten-minute video.
0: <laughs> there are, where you can learn about the ideas. There are some tools that you can then take the the ideas to others. So if the tools, if the ideas speak to you, you can introduce it as a a game uh, in with, with your in your house, um, in your with your family, or with your friends, or with your community. And so there are there are sort of interactive experiential ways of doing that. Um there are also maybe a bit more intellectual ways of doing that. You could hold a host a book club and there's a tool which has crowdsourced all the kind of the different ways you can host a book club with people. Then you can begin to deepen your understanding of what's it mean to put these ideas into practice. And so we offer a tool called Donut Unrolled where we unroll the donut and look into the lovely doughy tasty part in the middle and we say what does it mean to bring these ideas to your place, to your community, to your town, to your city and explore that, the, 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 the deep questions of what that would mean with others and um, that we actually bring that local uh, lens to the, this global challenge. And then um, we have other um, tools for for then, we call it the powers to act. And this is where you know, the action really gets going, because we, we might have mapped the change we want with this donut unrolled. But then what, what's our economic agency to bring that future about? And as different economic actors in a place, a business or a policymaker or a politician or a teacher, community organiser, organiser, a, a Member of a household has different power and agency in your multiple economic roles to bring about a change to that future. And so, with Powers Act, we we invite people to explore the different powers you have, try and bring these complex ideas into a manageable way of thinking. And we talk about how we can look at different ownership structures and governance structures and financial flows and structures and things like that, and actually unpick. All of the different things we, could, the choices we have, um, to 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 move towards um, a vision that we can create with our community or our town, and then there are tools to connect with other people. Um, so there are almost forty now um, groups and networks around the world of people acting across these, I guess, formalized structures um, in, a, in a city, region, or nation. And you can connect with these people. You can create your own group, and and that's what really the exciting. Um, front edge of the work because with the book done economics it points to lots of economic thinking of feminist economics ecological economics behavior economics complexity economics but when these ideas jump off the page and and people start connecting in their place that's where we learn what these ideas mean in practice and we say that 21st century economics will you practice first and theorize later so when people take these ideas and work out what does this really mean when yeah. <laughs> we we we're trying to to do this in practice so as deal we are creating spaces for people to well we're um convening anyone who who wishes to 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 join to to connect and learn and understand and um, share and inspire each other about the work that can happen and so whilst there there are tools the tools really come to life when we're we're connecting with each other around them and so we have these moments for connection. You can join different events. You can host your own event. You can join the, the deal website and um, then uh, create your own event. Uh, advertise it to people who, who you want to connect with. And, and when you share your story, when you share how you're applying the ideas in a various context, that inspires people, unlike any tool just sitting on a shelf by itself, um, would do. So I would say a good starting point is go to donuteconomics.org have a look and and see what's on offer and then um yeah start connecting with others and see what see what you want to um
1: see what actions you want to take brilliant and that's exactly what we're going to encourage people to do okay um look rob thank you so much for taking the time thank you for your brilliant explanations thank you for the conversation it's been a real pleasure talking to you
0: Yes, jonathan thanks so much
1: The PMAC 2023 conference happened in Bangkok between the 24th and the 29th of January. And if you missed it, don't worry, because now I'm going to speak to Shrisha Nankwa from Nepal. Before we got on to talking about PMAC, I started out by asking Shrisha, what on earth a social and behaviour communication officer... Actually, is
2: (laughs) all right, yeah. Uh, first of all, yeah, it's kind of a mouthful. So, when we say social and behavior change communication, uh, it's basically what it says on the tin. So, when we talk about uh, change, when we want to create change, we generally tend to focus on like an individual level, right? We talk about awareness generation, we say, okay, we need to make people aware about this and aware about that but if we actually want to change people's behavior we want to change people's habit we have to work with them on a personal level we also have to work with them we also have to work at the look at the environment they are in so look at all the factors that is affecting their decision making and we also have to work on all those enabling factors as well so we have to look at the community level you also have to look at the policy level and what are the things that are affecting uh, someone's behavior for example whether you walk to work or whether you take a car to work or whether you bike to work that is dependent not only just on you but also is there are there good infrastructure for you know, for any of the choices you make and which is the most convenient all of those things so when we talk about social and behavior change it incorporates not just like a personal level but it also looks at all the enabling environment surrounding our decisions so that's kind of what we talk what we talk about when we say social and behaviour change.
1: Okay, so if I understand correctly, in an era of pushing for individual behaviour change, you're working on the assumption that there's a there's structural forces behind people's behaviour choices. It's not just a individual personal responsibility choice. Uh, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. So, like just in the example you gave, I gave earlier. For example, if I want to take a bicycle from my home to work i have to think about not just like do i do i want to take a bike to work i also have to think about do i know how to ride a bicycle first of all can i afford a bicycle and is there actually a good uh, infrastructure like is it safe for me to ride a bicycle from my home to work so these are all of these are just some of the factors there are many other factors you have to think about so if you can actually when we want people to make a good decision or a good uh, practices practice a certain behavior we also have to think about is that practice or is that behavior convenient for them so if you want if they want to bike to work are we creating an environment where it's easy for them to bike to work or is it easy for them to take a public transportation over like uh, using their private cars so if we can also look at all the enabling environment and not just focus on one person then it's more easy for them to change their behavior and it's actually like easier to create change at a more larger scale as well
1: so what you're saying is is really excellent i, I completely agree with you um so in my normal way i'm gonna to have to ask a irritating question uh, look we have a corporate power structure uh, working behind the scenes um behind the curtain so to speak that's very happy with the idea of pushing for individual choices because thinking in terms of structural change uh, would threaten their power and their profits, right? So how does the social behavior change communication officer go about dealing with these guys behind the curtain?
2: <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, you make a very good point. yes, of course, when we especially when we're talking at an environmental in the environmental sector, we talk a lot about personal choices. Don't use plastic bags, uh, use a bicycle uh, take a bicycle all of these things. But as you said, there's a stru- there are people who are behind the curtains who are pulling a lot of strings and who are, who are not creating a structure or an infrastructure or a environment where these good practices are easy to make, right? These good decisions are easy to make. So in order to do that, when you say, it's not just me that will be doing all of this work. So this is something that has to be, that has to it takes a lot of effort from a lot of different people. So when I say'm I'm, I'm a social and behavior change communication officer, I don't just work alone. I also I have uh, we have a governance advisor on board, we have a civil society advisor on board. We have a public self, sorry, we don't have one yet, but we're working on having a public sector advisor on board. We have health advisors, we have um, education advisors. and all of us work together to create this enabling environment so for example if we want to create a create an environment where it's easy to uh, use public transportation over private uh, using your own private car then you'd actually have to lobby with the government you'd actually have to work with the civil society with the community so that they can demand uh, better services better infrastructure from the government You'd also have to work with uh, the private sector so that they can provide solutions. For example, uh, instead of maybe like uh, uh, selling pri- uh, selling cars, maybe we can get some private sector on board that can have like bike sharing uh, enterprises and things like that. So you kind of have to work with the entire system rather than just alone, uh, just working on a communication or working on something. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it works
1: i'm so i'm so sorry Shisha. i didn't mean to suggest that you'd have to do all this work on your own
2: <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> okay now, let's talk about the pmac conference in thailand you were there how was it
2: oh it was great uh it was my first pmac experience ever uh and from what i understand it's pmac is more of a health focused uh, conference but This year, it was really good to see environment and climate change be a big part of the conference as well. And also, it was a good opportunity because when you're working in Nepal, you see a lot of things that's going on in Nepal. But uh, in these conferences like this, you can actually talk to people from all over the world. So that was really good. I talked to people from Kyrgyzstan, people from Philippines who are also working on like related things as well. And we got to share ideas. So that was really good
1: and you were part of a pmac panel discussion uh, that was called elevating the voices of the young people for climate change could you tell me a little bit about that
2: all right so um, this is actually i believe this was the first ever youth led session to be organized in pmac in, in the history of pmac and it was actually good so we got a lot of good uh, reactions so According to a lot of people, that's apparently like one of the best sessions throughout the conference. I don't know if they were just saying that to be nice, but we got a lot of good reactions as well. So now, uh, what we did was we we initially had a little panel. So we had like uh, seven of us, seven of us on the stage. We talked about how we can have youths, uh, we can have youth leadership, how we can have youth voices be a big part of all the solutions when it comes to climate change environment health and all of these things we had uh, experts from different sectors so i was talking more on air pollution but we also had experts on climate change on food security on mental health on plastic pollution and all of those things and what we did on the second session was we actually all of us uh, panelists each led like a small group a small table where we were the experts and The older people, the more experienced people were the, it was kind of a role reversal, which was really nice. So we kind of facilitated a small uh, sort of a mini hackathon, but not exactly. We had very limited time, but it was a mini hackathon where we all gathered ideas and came up with like a small action plan on what we could do, what could be possible in order to actually have youth voices be a strong part of the solution in whichever topic we were talking about. So maybe on air pollution, how are, how can youth be the leaders to solve air pollution? How can youth be leaders in solving mental health? How can youth be the leader in solving food prices and all of these things? So that's kind of how it went.
1: That's fascinating. I remember right back at the beginning of the series making some comment about youth leaders being the actual adults in the room. And this exercise you did, that actually made that happen. <laughs> um, okay, so, so tell me, what learnings did you take home from the PMEC conference? Was, was there anything that you took home, something that you gained from it?
2: From the youth session itself, uh, one of the things that was very interesting to me was that when we talk about youth, we talk about youth experts. We talk about youth as the, I don't know, we generally use the word youth. So why not just instead of just having like a youth expert on air pollution or a youth expert on climate change, why can't we just look at youths as just the experts on climate change or an expert on air pollution? Not looking at them through a youth angle, but just looking at them through the angle of whatever they're working on. So how can we make sure that they're the experts, not the youth experts, but the experts themselves in that field? So I think that was very important. That was a very important takeaway from me. Another takeaway that uh, something that came up and I found it, I really agreed with it is that generally during these uh, these kind of conferences, so the people that come, come to these conferences that participate, they generally well-educated, urban, generally like middle class, upper middle class, higher class, like upper class people. So how do we get the voices of the ones who are in the margins? so how can we get the voices of people who are living in villages and affected by climate change on a daily basis how can we get the voices of people who are living in the slums affected by plastic pollution or air pollution on a daily basis they're not going to come to these conferences and we're never going we're not really going to hear their voices so that's something that we really have to think about and that's something we really have to like bring out or maybe that's also a wrong way of thinking. Maybe instead of saying, uh, how can we bring them to us? Maybe we also should be thinking about how can we go to them instead and actually go to their places and listen to their voices and make sure that their perspectives and how they think and how they see the problem is a big part of the solution building process as well. So those are some of the main takeaways for me or me from the PMAC conference.
1: I mean, that's really interesting, thinking about the language we use to legitimate leadership. Youth leadership definitely sounds a lot less important than just leadership. Um, And I completely agree with this idea of offering ownership solutions to people on the marginalized borders of society. It's wonderful if we can break through the class-orientated way of offering solutions that we have. Um, I guess this is part of your social and behavior communication role, right, to get people to sort of change their rational way of thinking and take ownership for, of decisions and processes for change. This must be something you have on your mind a lot.
2: So right now we're working on uh, solving air pollution in Kathmandu Valley. And what we're doing right now is going on these listening tours. So we call them listening tours. And basically what it is, is that instead of going to people and saying, OK, this is the problem and this is the solution and this is how you do it, so we just go to them and actually listen to them we don't go there to teach them anything or give them any solution the first step is to actually listen to the people the people who are actually experiencing things uh, on a daily basis so we're going to communities and talking about how they see air pollution how they experience air pollution what are the sources according to them how is it, how is it affecting them so that is the first step for our program uh in solving air pollution and i think that's very important as well because only after listening to their voices can we actually like work with them not just like get their voices and then do our or do all our work but uh, listen to their voices and then work with them to actually come up with solutions that would work well within their context within their environment so i think that's uh something that be very helpful in like getting the voices of the marginalized and uh, building solutions from the ground up rather than like from the top to bottom approach.
1: And Shreesha, to finish up, what's next for you? What's next on your agenda?
2: Uh, That's a a difficult question to answer. (laughs) There are a lot of things. I think uh, in a way, I would say I'm still learning a lot. I think as you go along, as you talk to people, as you work with different stakeholders, with the people, with the government, with the private sector, with your, your own team as well. So as you work, go along, you actually find solutions along the way rather than trying to like, be like, that's where, that's the solution. That's what I'm going to aim for. And that's how I'm going to do it. So I mean, you do need to have a plan at the beginning as well. Like, like you need to have a certain aim, a certain goal. But. I think a lot of the solutions come along the way. So I'm learning. I'm listening to people. That is the first thing that I will be. I am doing and will be doing going going forward. Listening to people, understanding their perspective perspective, and based on that, uh, finding solutions with them. So when we talk about so social and behavior change communication, so uh, that's a big part. Communication is a big part of change as well. Creating change as well. So that's kind of
1: what I'm working on. Well, Shriya, that that's really uplifting. It's really nice to hear such a excellent combination of kindness, humility, and honesty. Um, and you know, it might sound strange coming from me, but I do like this idea of listening rather than talking. Um, let me ask you one last question: What do you think that we're doing right at the moment? What What's inspiring you right now?
2: So in the last one year, we had uh, in Nepal, we had two elections. We had a local election and then we had the general election. So the local election is for local representatives. And the general election was for provincial and federal uh, representatives. So parliamentarians and all of that. And what I found really uplifting in these last, in, within this one year, within this last uh, two elections was how people were willing to take a chance and uh, gamble on young people. And also they're willing to bet on change. I think that's what was very inspiring for me in some ways, because we had in in Nepal, when you talk about pol- politics, it's always the same faces. It's always the same people, the same old people that are coming over and over again, doing the same thing over and over again. And in these last uh, two elections, a lot of things changed like, there are so many people who are independent uh, people, young people who fought in the election and actually won and they won with overwhelming support from the people. I think in a way, it's also because people are kind of getting tired of the same old thing. But also it shows that people are actually willing to take a chance on young people, on potential change makers. And I think that's I think that's something that's very. That's something I'm very optimistic about.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Uh, Look, thank you so much, Sreesha, for talking to me today. It's been wonderful to hear your inspiring ideas and your insights. Thanks a lot.
2: Uh, Thank you so much, Jonathan. (laughs) It's actually great to be here. And thank you so much for having me.
1: And finally, let's just get a quick word from an old friend of the pod, Omnia El Omrani. Now you can hear a dedicated episode that's all about Omnia uh, if you go to the PMAC 2023 website, that's pmac2023.com, and look up the podcast page. Hi Omnia, how are you?
3: I'm good. just got back from Thailand and uh, full of uh, energy and inspiration after a PMAC.
1: Brilliant. <laughs> and that's exactly what I want to talk about. Um, earlier, I spoke to Shrisha Nankwa, um, whom you shared a platform with at PMAC. And she was mentioning something interesting. She was talking about the delegitimizing nature of language. Uh, so instead of talking about youth leaders and young people, shouldn't we just be talking about leaders and people and activists working for climate action?
3: Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, in terms of, you know, being seen as the experts that we are in our own fields. Uh, And this is something that we talked about. And I was so inspired that not only did PMAC really demonstrate a meaningful way of engaging young people, because almost every session at PMAC had a young expert, whether in energy, whether in food systems or nature-based solutions or health. And then the next thing is that for the first time in the history of PMAC, that has been done for the past, I think, 15 to 17 years, we had a youth-led session that was independently led by young people. And we had all the participants, over 100 of them, really coming from the health organizations, from the policy-making spaces, from the funding institutions, come together with us, and we led. Uh, working group discussions with them on how to better work with young people and how to integrate them in their leadership structures, how to develop youth focus groups or youth-led sounding boards that can help us work together with them as partners and elevate their work as well as learn from their policy-making spaces and structures and mechanisms. And this was the Elevating the Voices of Youth Uh, It was an amazing session organized by FHI 360, and we really had amazing participants with us from all the different organizing committee of PMAC, and they were so supportive. They had good discussions with us. We talked about food systems, mental health, um, climate change and climate policy, and really shaping an intergenerational dialogue for climate change, biodiversity and health.
1: Right. And, and shrisha also spoke to me about this idea of promoting listening over talking, which I really liked. The idea of having the humility to imagine that local people also had the knowledge and the experience to, to come up with and create answers rather than needing to be guided, you know, all the time. How do you feel about those ideas?
3: Yes, I think it's important to to do both in terms of really listening to what young people are offering and their experience and their work, and at the same time, finding ways of working together. And this is what we also talked about in our session, the importance of having intergenerational dialogues, where we understand the narratives from a youth-led perspective and from a policymaker perspective, so that we can find the common grounds Um, in terms of how to work together effectively and more meaningfully. Um, And then what we also talked about is that how can we do that in a way that is sustainable? It's important to have conferences because it creates opportunities to network, learn across borders and disciplines, but at the same time, thinking about what's next when you go back to each other, to others, to our countries and our regions and our institutions, what can we do together to sustain that from one event to another. This is the same question that we also asked about conferences like the climate change conference. Is it important to really be part of these negotiations every year, even though they are slow? We tend to say the same things over and over, but it's important because it helps us hold our countries accountable when we go back and at the same time build new networks and learnings.
1: Fantastic. On that. So you yourself are a doctor um, and you work in the health service. And these days, uh, in order to save their patients, doctors also need to be climate activists to try to save the planet too, right? Um, did you feel that the PMAC conference went some way to helping with this objective?
3: I think it was honestly so inspiring and different because it's the first time that PMAC focuses on climate change. And and this is what I saw that we need, because you have the most, you know, influential community in terms of working as doctors with the people and helping them and being the number one and the number two trusted messengers in the community. And at the same time, you also have the science that that can bring in the urgency that we need to act on climate change. Because when you say that climate change affects human health, leads to death, leads to physical as well as mental health consequences, directly it's going to affect the health of your children and grandchildren. Having the doctors and the health community being the messengers for the climate crisis and the solutions that are needed is what I think pmac really brought into perspective. And the second most important thing is how to mobilize the finance and the resources for it. And we really need to bridge the gap between health and the the financing that that is needed to really help with climate adaptation and mitigation. Because it's not just about the environment right now. We're talking about protecting the health of the people and mobilizing financial resources to do it.
1: Wonderful. And finally, did you have any other learnings or something that you've taken from the PMAC conference that's gonna help you move forward in your work and your activities?
3: Uh, one important thing is really how this certain areas are such an amazing and a powerful way to connect between climate and biodiversity. One of them is for example, mental health and emotional resilience. Because when you look at nature and biodiversity and how nature-based solutions can help with the climate crisis as well as building mental health and emotional resilience in the face of climate anxiety, in the face of really improving our overall health and the health of the population, it's such an important and under-prioritized area that we need to work on together. And this is something I learned about at PIMAC um, from different leaders such as uh, Sir David Navarro and Renzo Gintu from the Philippines and Dr. Jamila mahmoud who also works on planetary health and this is the second learning which is important to when we look at climate change we need to also look at the planetary health um, perspective because it tackles all the different disciplines looking at not just you know one a concrete solution but looking at systemic change and this is what we need and we should not shy away from it because it's complex and we cannot you know find our ways around it. We need to work in small steps with small impact that can ultimately unlock the system, systematic change that we need for our health for our and for our people and for our planet.
1: Ah that was actually a, a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much, Omnia, for joining me once again. And good luck. It's been been really nice speaking to you. Thanks.
3: Thank you. No, it's always lovely to speak with you too.
1: So there you go. That's it for this extended episode and for the second series of The World We Want, Youth Voices on Climate and Health from the PMAC Conference. Thank you so much for listening.
2: must stop playing with words and numbers because we no longer have time
1: this podcast was brought to you by the Prince Mahadon Award Conference and Jonathan Foster of Foster Media.